0: welcome to no challenges remaining on day 13 of the u.s open women's final day i'm ben rothenberg joined by my final woman courtney to win courtney Congratulations on making it to the end of your tournament as a WTA Insider. You're off the hook. You're done. Your US Open is done. Some of us have the men tomorrow, but you are checking out of the bubble. Congratulations on making it. Your bubble did not burst. It
1: and did not. Was a, and
0: this was a good final to finish.
1: I know. Yeah, it was a good final. It was a good finish. As you referenced, I am the final woman. I'm the final girl. I made it through the potential horror show that could have been not just two weeks, but three weeks in the bubble. Obviously, I'm not physically in the bubble, but mentally, I'm definitely in the bubble. But yeah, no, we survived. The finish of the tournament, I think, was unimpeachable in every way. And we got ourselves a fantastic final, a historic final in a lot of ways. And yeah, Naomi Osaka. How about that?
0: So let's start off with the final going pretty granularly on this women's final itself, because it was a wild ride. Naomi Osaka wins it 1-6, 6-3, 6-3. Azarenka led this final. Victoria Azarenka should full name on first reference victoria azarenka one, was leading 6-1 2 love 40-30 on serve had a had a point for 6-1 3-0 you were live blogging this match for WT Insider Courtney can you just sort of talk our listeners through the the ups and downs of this match ride right in the waves of this match as it went
1: the waves they were cresting and they were ebbing and they were flowing and yeah it was it was wild because i felt like it turned it didn't turn on a dime But it's almost like what I was seeing in terms of the second set turnaround from Naomi Osaka didn't it didn't catch up with my what I thought would happen in the match, I suppose, because Victoria Azarenka comes out absolutely firing. She misses one first serve uh, in the entire first set. Her second serve, you know, Naomi Osaka on paper should be jumping all over that second serve. You can't if you only get to see one. In an entire set, so everything that on paper previewing this match, tactically and and you know X's and O's, the things that 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 Naomi, that the weaknesses of Victoria Azarenka's game were absolute strengths for seven, eight, nine games.
0: Her serve was unreal at the beginning of this match. She was. I wrote this down. Like through at this point, I, I basically paused the stats here at this six-one to love forty thirty moment. And she made a bunch more first serves after this, but it even got better. But she was basically serving at 90% first serves in. Yeah. That's nuts. And she was, was going for him, too. This was not an Irani 90. This was like a Lissiki 90. Like, these were like big, flat, Okay, maybe that's a, those are some deep cut names. I'm doing it for the people. You know, you got to throw them some red meat every once in a while. Let them know that we're still nerds. These were big serves that she was really yeah. flattening out and hitting and going for. And she didn't miss a first serve for a long time this match. I think she yep. started off in the first set, making 16 of 17, not much below that. Going through that also, feeding off the big serve at this point, she had 15 winners and six unforced errors at that point in the yeah. match. And it Naomi was an was unreal flipped. start. Naomi was flipped. Six winners, 15 unforced errors. It was a route. And I was having flashbacks to a match. I don't remember that well, actually, because it was so short. But the Azarenka-Sharapova 2012 I'll show you an open final, which was a complete sure. beat down for Vika. And I was like, wow, she's doing this version of her grand slam final again. Like, good honor. Because she looked unplayable early on. Yeah,
1: No, she did. She looked absolutely unplayable, came flying out of the gates and looked like a woman who had just come off of one of the biggest wins of her career, a three-setter over Serena, realizing that she can't have the slow start against Naomi that she had against Serena. And that seemed to be, like, on her mind. So she was really gassing it. And it's funny because Azarenka lost the final on the same set score as Serena lost the semifinal to her. Mm -hmm. And Serena, what was it, in the quarterfinal, right? She kind of came out a little slow, if I recall, was a little sluggish in that first set um, in her quarter and then was able to turn that around against Peronkova. Right. And I think that You know, and so then when Serena came out against Vika, led like a quick 4-0, like in like 15 minutes, it was insane. Gets that first set 6-1. Again, like at the time when I was live vlogging the match, I was like, well, this is a woman who has learned her lesson from a previous match and has come out intense from the get-go and ready to go. And that's how I felt watching Vika in this match because she was sluggish against Serena in the first set. Now she comes out. But then it was like watching the same match. Osaka made a few adjustments, won a few key points. Um, started to prolong the rallies a little bit, made, dug her heels in and said, I'm not actually going to to just give you free points. I gave you like 15 free points in the first set. Why would I do that? And really cleaned things up while still being aggressive. She wasn't pushing. Yeah. She was finding good depth, and she was also putting a little bit more loft on the ball, buying herself a little bit more time in the rally because Vika redirects so well that if you go straight pace at her, you really expose your own side of the court. So, yeah, Naomi was really thinking there, and... It made me think of, you know, Wim Fazette in his press conference saying that even before I started coaching her, one of the things that I observed about Naomi is that she's very good about adjusting in her matches. You know, we talk a lot and sometimes maybe on the WTA tour, it's hidden a lot because of on-court coaching. And we just assume that any tactical adjustments that are made by a player are because they talk to their coach. Right. And one of the things here that that Wim was saying he saw quite frequently in in Naomi's matches was her making the adjustment herself and making the right adjustment. And so against Azarenka, I talked to Naomi in the Champions Corner for WTA Insider. She said, you know, one of the, the big adjustments that I made was I kind of thought, let's make this physical which you would never think to do against a Victoria Azarenka, like, necessarily, right?
0: Wouldn't be your first thought.
1: It wouldn't be your first thought, but Naomi was like, let's run. Let's run back and forth, corner to corner. Um, that's what she told me, and I was like, wow, okay. So, yeah, so as she started to do that and as she started to get more point, you know, get the, win those prolonged points, she started to get shorter balls. She started to get looks at second serves, and, and slowly she was able to kind of turn that second set around, and once she did it really looked like her match. I think Vika lost her legs a little bit towards the end. I think there was like maybe the 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 penultimate changeover or the last changeover that Vika didn't sit down. She just stood mm. up and and kept stretching her legs. And the very next game, I think uh Naomi broke because like Vika just there was just a little bit of a lack of intensity. Understandable. 12th match in 3 weeks. Yeah. Uh, but uh but yeah, I think I think that really proved the difference in the end.
0: I will say there were a couple moments in this match. And the semifinals, which you were not here when we talked, I did a show with Nick McCarvel on semifinal night, who was in the stadium for those matches. The semifinals were, like, so high quality throughout. This final was not as good in terms of just pure, like, quality metrics, but it was very competitive throughout. Or very, once it got competitive, it it was very compelling. And obviously, the tennis wasn't bad, per se. But there were a few letdowns from each of them on some big points. Sure. Azarenka hit a bad backhand unforced error on the break point in the second set to go down 4-3, just a very loose kind of first ball error that she really had no reason to make. And then similarly, Osaka gave a, a relatively loose error. It's a very similar kind of shot actually when she was up 4-1 in the third. Yeah. And then, and then got broken back to get back on serve. And then Vika again had a little bit of a shaky game too. So there were, there were some moments where like the big turning, which kind of made this match a little bit hard to track for me in terms of just the ebbs and flows of it. Obviously no crowd too, makes everything a little bit tougher on that sense, but like, the big punctuation mark points didn't match the big scoreboard moments. Like, the big score moments kind of were the, a little bit sometimes these short kind of clunky points. And then the the yeah. shifts were kind of earlier in games and the better rallies were earlier in games. So it was an interesting sort of rhythm to it that doesn't fit yeah. necessarily. Like, it didn't make for an easy highlight
1: reel, put it that way. Right. No, I, I would agree with you 100% there. I think that the big points, you know, if I think back on this match... I have a hard time remembering signature points. Right, exactly. Now, that's, what I re- I re- that's what I mean. I, re- I remember good points. Yeah. But they weren't signature points on really big, um, important moments. So exactly. there was that exactly. one forehand in the first set, one forehand down the line stretch that as a that I was think. incredible. Yeah, yeah exactly. In the first unreal, set, that shot. unreal. There was that Naomi Osaka forehand pass that was great. I believe in the second set, it was like the cleanest. The cleanest ball she had hit. A couple of flying Naomi Osaka forehand returns. Uh, Azarenka, that curling forehand down double break point late in the third that she curled right in. But on the whole, though, yeah, I I will remember certain points from like the semifinals far more than I will remember like courageous moments on big points. That semifinal
0: day was one of the best days of tennis in grand slam history i'm gonna throw out there it was so good granted only two matches so like small sample size on that but like for those four women to all play as well as they did in that moment and in these stakes in this empty stadium in a grand slam and also on the day when they were like a lot of people mentioned this too when they were like honoring the original nine in the stadium too it was just it was a really cool day and mike kation who was on here yesterday uh, on ncr talking about the mentally finals he, he was saying like i thought the men would have a hard time living up to what the women did on thursday and felt validated in that in that uh premonition so yeah, yeah so the, the women's matches at this tournament i think were really really good you know like i said this was not the best best match it wasn't bad I, I, by no means was it bad i feel like i just like rewatching it now it's like okay yeah some of these matt the the pivotal switches happened a little, a little bit anticlimactic ways in terms of points. But the quality was good. Both of them finished positives, I believe, and in the winners on fours. also, in, and, especially
1: in that late in yeah. that third set, there were long, protracted games. In the third set, I felt like, you know, in that kind of middle portion, I felt like they both finally were playing well at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was still the same problem—not problem, but issue, which is that the big, the big shots weren't coming in high-stakes yeah. moments as much. The 4-1 but I felt one game like- was—
0: the 4-1 game in the third set was great. And when yeah. the score didn't feel close, you were like, it's 4-1, but it turned into a battle and it did get close right away. Yeah. And my other stat for I have from 6-1-2-0 after that moment and 40-30 in that first, second set, from that point on, Osaka hit 28 winners, 11 unforced. Yeah. So like she cleaned it way up and, and, like, I, and got everything it, done.
1: And these like, I I was kind of laughing at myself a little bit because I wrote my WT Insider preview for the match where I I kind of highlighted five questions. Which was great, five.
0: by the way. People should read it even after the fact.
1: <laughs> but one of the things that I was laughing at myself as I was writing it was, this piece is too long. Like... It was maybe 1,500 words, like 1,800 words for a final preview. It was very long and lengthy. But the reason why is because I felt like there was so much in terms of how these two games would match up and what the little differences and little margins would be that there was a lot to talk about. And I'm, I'm, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I felt like I really did kind of highlight exactly what needed to be highlighted and what actually ended up to be true. So kind of like who was going to make the, the quick adjustments and highlighting that quote from Wim Fazette about how how well Naomi has adjusted, that turned out to be true. Highlighting who can play aggressively and clean. It can't just be aggressive. And Chris Everett actually made a really interesting point during the semifinals where she said, you know, for so long, you know, she was like, when I played, it was about not making errors. And then it ushered in the time of power tennis. And it's just been about power, 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 power. And she said, now I think unforced errors are the new power. Because it Hmm. has been all about power all this time. Now everybody hits big. No one doesn't hit big anymore. So now the question is, can you hit big and clean? I thought that was actually quite astute. And something that I've been thinking about the last like forty eight hours quite a bit, and Naomi, she, and when Chrissy said this, it was right around the time that I had been kind of thinking like, how in the heck is Naomi playing as clean a second week as she is playing? In the fi- last in the five sets she played before going into the final, she made twenty five total unforced errors. That's an average of five unforced errors a set, and that's including the Brady three setter. Yeah, what was it? Rogers quarterfinal, which was a bit one way traffic, but you know that's impressive against power players where she's trying to bat back power. She's not missing. And so when she made those 15 unforced errors in the first set, I was like, oh man, like this is exactly what you can't be doing. And then like you said, what is it? 11 unforced errors for the rest of the match? From, from that 2-0, 40-30 point. From
0: that 2-0, th- from point, that 2-0 yeah. spot, yeah. I I think you're totally right about this evolution. And you, you know, people talk about- It wasn't heart. me, it was Chris. Well, I know, but I think you're totally right in, in citing Chris effort <laughs> in that. I'll give you some credit here for for bringing it into the, into the dialogue of NCR because yeah you look at women's tennis right now and there's lots of women who can clock the ball who can hit the crap out of the ball right and yep. who, but but who, at the same time who have not really come yet close to grandstand breakthroughs I, the ones that come to my mind are like your sabalenka's your yastrzemska's right who can who are big ball bashing kind of players and maybe you think oh it's like naomi it's a power tennis game but you have to be able to clean it up when it matters. And that comes down to technique, that comes down to focus, that comes down to a lot of things. And yeah, that's, that's a great evolution of the game in a in a purely forward direction if, if we're now not just swinging big and, and sometimes lands in or out, which, you know, the Williamses when they were really amping up the power in the game 20 years ago. They, when they were at their best, they played clean, but they also had days where they completely dissolved into unforced error strewn matches. And not that Naomi doesn't sometimes, but Obviously, yeah, sure. in her three slams, it's it hasn't just been about her... Uh, littering the stat sheet completely and the margin works out it's been about her really playing kind of within her power
1: and and i think that the biggest thing is that i think that when for example serena and venus ushered in the power ten, the the modern power tennis game along with Lindsay, and but Mm -hmm. but when they brought it in the fitness side of women's tennis was still lagging behind
0: for the field, From for it, sure.
1: For the field. Yeah. So, if you had power, t- if you had a power game, you could just hit through your field. Like, you could just, the field was not physically quick enough or strong enough to extend rallies. You didn't have to hit five big, high risk shots to win a rally, which you kind of have to do now. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years ago, you didn't. You had to hit maybe two. Right. One to open the court, one to clean it up. So that's a big difference. So now, you know, we were talking about this, I think, Ben, but if you looked back kind of before the Naomi Osaka U.S. Open win, I think kind of. But before that, you were looking at a lot of counterpunching players winning slams. You had the, uh, the ushering in of Angelique Kerber, right? The challenging of trying to get slams of, of a Simona Halep. Yet Waz finally winning at the Australian Open. It be really became... It's Sloan. It yeah. wasn't about power tennis, actually. But now you look at these last slam champions and you do see something different. You see players who can play the big game and keep it clean. Bianca can do it. Naomi has now proven this Naomi is so much better than the one that won in 2018. I agree. And so much better than the one, the one in 2019 AO. You know, what she did, because this has not just been a trend in this tournament. It also was a trend during the Cincinnati event as well. She played it clean. Her, her differential, her plus-minus differential of winners to unforced was pretty significant, I think, in a lot of her matches. So I think that Chrissy is on to something. I think she's totally right. I think that, you know, we always look at kind of the adjustment Right. The needle swings back the other way all the time. I think that this might be it, which is like you got to play clean tennis and you have to be aggressive. It's
0: something I mean, it's just an ebb and flow to get like real nerdy. I remember seeing, learning about this in like, you know, middle school or grades. I I think like some elementary kind of history class. Right. That in like medieval times, there would be upgrades to weapons. Sure. And then the armor would pick up and then it would be like this is more an era of battle in the middle times more defined by armor. And then you'd find some new artillery of some kind that would pierce that armor. And then the armor would pick back up. And then you go back and forth. There's like ebbs and flows in technology and in progress of things. And that's what we're seeing. And gosh, so many things and whether it's politics or whatever, have these natural ebbs and flows, you know, back and forth across the spectrum. And and yeah, like we're seeing that in, in women's tennis for sure. That now we're we're heading back towards a a power time, and you know this is not to say every slam winner from here on out will be a power player, and that Simona Halep won't win the French Open because I kind of think we we both probably think she she well may, but uh, but yeah, it's, we're just seeing yeah. different kinds of players now, and it, it's it's cool.
1: And that's the thing is that you're seeing different types of players, and that's the other you know progress is is a reaction to a trend. That's what progress is, right? As you're saying, kind of it it rubber bands forwards basically you know it's evolution in order to survive you have to learn to adapt and so in addition to this kind of cleaner game style that I think that we will see going forward at least for the next few years I think that also if you look back the last like maybe year or so and looking ahead you see players coming up with more variety again what used to be only north-south baseline tennis is now you're seeing the all these like, young players who love running to the net. Since when? I haven't seen that in the last 10 years, <laughs> but apparently this is a trend, right? The Katie McNally's, the Coco Goffs, the Iga Sviontechs, like they don't mind it. They, they're like I'm Karolina Muchova. Like, Andreescu, I think you're, he's in that group too. Andrescu, Vondrosheva. Yeah. These are players who are not allergic to it. They want to be up there. So you see a lot more diversity in game style because when you are only seeing power tennis and you don't have and you can't match that you're gonna find other ways to win right it's it's just it's evolutionary theory and and so yeah so i think that it's actually right now and within the next like three years is probably going to be like some of the most not exciting because i don't want to put down like previous generations because all of that it's all exciting right power tennis in the face of oh my god you know is i mean that was that was that was the shit like in like the 90s and early aughts like Oh my gosh.
0: Anyone who knows me in women's tennis knows I'm not trying to knock anything <laughs> about women's tennis twenty years ago. Absolutely so, not. I think there's still those are
1: prime years. I
0: think those are still prime years and in a lot of ways, you know, I can still argue for parts of them being better. The players, the death was not there, but the players were at the top at that time, like the top ten in those times. Like, holy crap. That was an yeah. unreal top tens they had back then. In this top ten, we have right now Naomi Osaka getting her third grand slam. Uh, after you know being kind of on the cusp of falling out of the top 10 ranking wise for a while after she got the number one uh after winning the australian open she in 2019 she you know slipped and and struggled results wise after getting the number one eh, ranking in a way fall that was
1: she was fine in the fall
0: sure yes 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 she was getting it back I mean... right last fall okay okay I'm, I'm not saying it was all like she imploded but she major results wise fell off right she sure. lost third round french first round wimbledon 4th round US Open, 3rd round Australia. For someone who'd won two majors before that, that was a significant drop to not make another uh business end of a slam. And lo and behold, now she is 3 for 3 in her career when making quarters of a Grand Slam she wins the title. So that's a pretty good Nine conversion. No, oh no, once
1: she makes quarters, once you get a major. There.
0: 3 and 0 oh in quarters, 3 and 0 oh in semis, 3 and 0 oh in finals. That's, that's pretty good from Naomi Osaka. What do you think? I I, I think we all thought especially when she got Australia and felt and consolidated like it was some title that like, okay, this is the start of her starting her pile of slams, like running up a score. And this one, you know, felt very much like that. Like here's an, you know, another, another notch, another tally for her. It was yeah. very business like in that way. And I think it really gets back on track that like, Hey, I was not just a player of the moment for a six month stretch who got the number one. And then, you know, had had issues. And yeah, you're right. She did obviously win Osaka in Beijing last year and was playing well going into Shenzhen when she got hurt. But doing it at the Grand is different. That's when everyone is watching and sends a big message that uh she is here. What what do you, what do you think she proved about herself during this this tournament?
1: Just in terms of the tennis side that we can get to the sure, course of course too. No, I think that tennis wise, I think that it was just more about for me, her game and the evolution of her game coming out of shutdown, coming out of spending a significant amount of time with with Wim Facette, uh and Yutaka Nakamura, um, getting fitter, getting smarter on the court, um, you know, fixing maybe some little technical things. Uh, I think that that was pretty significant, and so she came out just a rock solid player. And you know, this wasn't a processional march. I mean, both her man, her run to the final in Cincinnati and her run to the the title in New York. She had to come through three setters. She had to come back. She still showed signs of faltering, you know, winning first sets and letting second sets go, things like that. But I think that the thing that makes Naomi special is her competitiveness. And she doesn't wear it the same way as other players may wear it or the way that we, cons- we think of athletes who are competitive to wear it. But when she needs something special, she finds it. And when she has to dig out of a love 40 hole like she had to do late in the third set here, she found a way to do it. Um, she can hit three straight unforced errors and and pull something out. It's, you know, I've said this a gazillion times about Naomi since 2018, but she she plays and thinks like a player who was like locked in a basement with nothing but old tapes of Serena Williams matches and has completely absorbed that to be, this is how you play tennis. This is what you do. When you are down, you find something special. And that's what I think makes her special. And obviously, when better improved fitness and improved technique and tactics and all that will improve that and maximize and optimize that. But I think that's what makes her unique.
0: I think that's her competitive style. I think you're alluding to. I think people when people think about players who are like ultra competitive in tennis, they think of people who do it loud, right? Like your Putin Savas, your players who are shouty and who are demonstrative and who Rafa, sort of Vika,
1: Rafa, yes, exactly
0: yeah, Serena. I mean, Serena, all these players sure. who get fired up per se. And with with Naomi, it's almost always a much smoother burn to her in terms of her intensity, right? Or at least a, the flames are not as as visible with her, and it's and it's more internalized. And not that she doesn't have moments where she shows that, and certainly she can show frustration in matches. She can toss the racket around a little bit, and she can. You know, cursed herself. There was a funny moment that I saw in the replay of her of her after she gave back the break in the third set of her having some choice words for herself, Soto Voce. But uh I've ever since twenty eighteen in that US Open final how that went. Like no one should ever underestimate her strength and just yeah. how how much steel there is beneath that surface and how much determination there is. That's you know.
1: precisely right. I think that I mean, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. I know for myself, like I feel like I I I get Naomi after all of these years of interviewing her. And I feel like I don't necessarily buy into the common tropes about her. You know, the the kind of, oh, she's shy and quiet and weak and, you know, and mentally fragile. I don't buy into all that. But I still, you know, when she's getting blown away, 612 love by Vika, I'm like, I have no idea how she's going to turn this around. You know, I still find myself not like forgetting that this is the kid that stood out on arthur ash stadium in you know this tornado and was able to serve out a match or you know break for a match whatever it was i don't know i i guess i just keep forgetting it and it's because she doesn't wear it because we're yeah accustomed to seeing hyper steely the stuff of you know posters on the wall type of competitiveness to just look very very different and i need to not fall into that trap and i mean everybody else same (laughs) i
0: mean honestly it's a little bit she's not doesn't get the same sort of written about the same way which is good because it was stupid but like you mentioned chris everett earlier in the show chris everett was a competitor who they called an quote-unquote ice queen back in her day right who was like super stoic and on flat and complete poker face throughout but everyone knew she was hard as hell to beat and like what a tough out chris everett was when she was playing well, which she was through the entire seventies and eighties. So it was a long stretch where that was happening. And you know, Naomi has some of that. Yeah. Naomi has, obviously she's more than that. And, and as plays a very different game than Chris Everett, obviously, but she has this thing where I think more and more people are going to start realizing just have tough, when you see more and more of these results come in, right. When you see someone who's down one, six, Oh, two, 30, 40 or whatever in a grandstand final, turn that around. Like the locker room will take notice. She's building an aura. That's exactly right. She really right. is. That's yeah. that's
1: exactly right. And that, that, that's what I was going to say is just that I think that going into the U.S. Open or going into Cincinnati, I think the book on Naomi Osaka was she shows up at the big events. That's when she's the most dangerous. And if she gets hot, she can beat anyone. But if she but she she can be fragile. She can play those games where all of a sudden she hits 12 unforced errors in three games. And you, next thing you know, you know, you've baggled her. She can do, you know, there was still kind of in she's great. She's amazing, but she's beatable. But these results of coming back, as you said, you know, against a very good Victoria Azarenka and reeling her in, which the field recognized, they were like, wow, Vika's playing well. And then even like the semifinal against Jen Brady, that's a match where, you know, you look at it and you say, she's not playing Serena. She's not playing Vika. She's not playing in a slam final. She's playing, you know, which are situations where you would expect Naomi to find something special. No, she's playing in an empty stadium. Yes, it's a major semifinal, but she's playing against Jennifer Brady, who... And and Naomi's on paper the heavy favorite to win that match. Mm -hmm. Jen Brady is playing lights-out tennis. And somehow Naomi finds a way to win. That just you know, a couple of bad second serve returns from Brady in that tie break and one bad service game in the entire match. And that ended up being like a weirdly, a weird like route in the final end of it. And those are the wins, right? That people will take notice of the fighting against the Marta Kostiuk, the, you know, and yeah, that's how an aura is built. And once you build that aura, that's three, that's three games in your pocket. That's somebody having to serve out the match twice against you instead of once because they get nervous the first time.
0: I think this aura talk leads well into a topic that I wanted to get to at the end of this show more, but I'm going to bring it up here and we'll get back to Naomi off court and Vika and stuff. But so with this aura that Naomi's growing, getting to three grand slams, she is now, cause there's a big logjam at two in terms of people who had two grand slam titles to their name. Azarenka, Muguruza, right. Kuznetsova, Kvitova, Halep. Is that all? Uh, yeah, that might be all. Anyway, now she's in a smaller group with three, just her and Kerber. And then you go and among active players. If you want to count Kleisters, you can count Kleisters, even though she has won her slams in a while. And then there's Venus, who hasn't won her slams in even longer. And then Serena at 23, right? So Naomi's very much entering the conversation in terms of, like, who kind of is the ruler of modern tennis. And you can say this after—or current tennis, I should say, more than modern— you see this after every slam that like, oh, this person behold our new queen on some level. But like, is Naomi asserting herself as the alpha on tour now? I mean, because Serena, who I think had maybe been it by some definitions, uh hasn't won in a while, you know, lost another deep match at a slam playing a less than full schedule mm, debate about her maybe. There's Halep, who is very likely to win the French Open. Has won Wimbledon recently before this. Uh, a couple different services, good on every surface, maybe her. Ash Barty is the number one player in the world. It's uh, won a Grand Slam and won the Tour Champs and very credible semifinal run in Australia. But she's kind of gone a little bit off the grid lately because she didn't come to the U.S. and she's not playing the French Open to defend that title either. You mentioned Bianca as sort of another alpha because Bianca is such a part-timer. There's some
1: swag there.
0: But like, my gosh, when she shows up, everyone should be shaking in their boots. <laughs> so what? Who? who is, who's like, who's Taurus is now? Who is like, who is the big woman on campus?
1: <laughs> this is such a hot take. And, but I'm gonna make it anyway. Okay. So my hot take is is that the, yeah, the penthouse is still, to me, occupied by Halop hmm and i know that's a weird uh, first of all i don't think that there is necessarily an alpha Look, so she let's was nominated just say the cat
0: ca- she was nominated in the category she can get her oscar it's fine no
1: no but uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna make my argument um okay. i think that because i would be inclined to say Barty because everyone the, the locker room respects her game so much the way that it's built is winnable on every surface and i think that's why naomi isn't the alpha to me as of yet she is maybe grass, yeah. she is maybe two seasons away from being the alpha it would i i you almost kind of feel like it's going to be a, i've said this at the end of last year that it's going to be a three woman race between her and ash and bianca kind of vying for that next younger generation like penthouse thing but um i think that with how it, it's been proven she, you know, once she got into the top 10, like it feels like 10 years ago, but I think it's like something like six years ago or something, she's never dropped out. She has earned an incredible amount of respect from the locker room in terms of how hot, tough of an out she is on every surface. And maybe people didn't really take her seriously on grass until yeah, last until year. Until she
0: won Wimbledon. Yeah. But
1: that's fine because grass is only a 4 weeks part of the season. Outside of those four weeks, if, Naomi, if Simona Halep is in the draw... Like she's not easy to beat necessarily. And oftentimes when she does get beat, she beats herself. Like she doesn't show up. She gets nervous. She gets chokey, things like that. But I think that there's there's there is an aura about Simona. And you have to also remember that there's a lot of younger players who are coming up on the tour now who have kind of grown up as Simona with Simona as like a top player, you know, and so it's kind of weird. But but she is a player that younger players look up to and they look up to not in the same way but but in an Andy Murray kind of way of like this player who's so good, so professional, beautiful game, great tennis player, freaking fell up like kept doing face plants for 3 years trying to get that number 1, get that 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 slam, finally broke through, seems really chill, super nice, says hi to everybody in the locker room. There's something about that there. So I've I feel like there's a little bit of that. I would nominate too Petra only because I know, I know,
0: but Petra's not the number one. She's up there, but I don't think I can't make a case Petra saying, as the number one.
1: No, I'm just saying that you know it's always it's an honor to be nominated. <laughs> it's not hey, just look saying. in the to current like eight
0: best picture nominees. Yes, of course Petra gets to be this is my, the what who's what's the analogy for like a movie? She's like the really solid um, Ford versus Ferrari. You know, she's, like she's, she's not going to win, Ferrari. but yes, she's better than call. people think. And she's a great two hours to watch
1: yeah yep so. exactly no that's a good that's a good call on on Ford versus Ferrari yeah so that's my argument for for Simona uh, I made my argument for Ash I mean this is all within the context of I mean Serena is still the alpha she is still the person that when she's in a draw the oxygen goes to her the spotlight goes to her but when we're talking about between the lines you know it's yeah. it's it's hard to you see you see these players stepping on the court and believing they can beat her
0: the case I would make for Naomi, because you made cases for other three people, the case I make for Naomi is winning, you know, three slams recently. No one's won as many slams in this short window here. So that counts for a lot. Having been number one counts for some things. Obviously, Simona was number one for much longer, but she's been number one now at Naomi. I think it matters in terms of perception, because it's a perception question that she's the highest paid female athlete in the world. I think that gives her a little bit more alpha status. That's uh, a very good point. And I do think that it also matters uh i guess this is transitions what she's been doing in terms of her activism and her voice in new york getting that tournament in cincinnati stopped for a day like that is power i mean like, I w- <laughs> wow
1: i was joking about it in our group chat but this is a player who shut down a joint masters event with a tweet and then two and a half weeks later gets a congratulatory tweet from the atp tour twitter account <laughs> I mean, the power yeah. this has.
0: <laughs> there's that. There's That's that. There's an that.
1: incredible. There's... What is that? <laughs> That's meme? An oh, it's, swing. It's,
0: it's a. It's an anna Navarro meme. A power yeah, the power this has. The international implications this has. Has. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's what uh, I was channeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: for sure. Yeah. To get to that side of Naomi. Naomi's tournament, I will remember just as much for how remarkable it was on the social fronts as for the tennis, if not more. Honestly, long term, because. What she was able to do, we talked about this in the show, and Wim talked about this in the interview, too. He bought into this, too. She was motivated and driven by wanting to tell all seven stories on those seven names, on her seven masks of the people who've been killed in America as victims of different types of racially charged violence, right? So she had that mission and she manifested it with her her mind to be like okay yeah i have seven stories so i have to win seven matches or at least get to seven matches <laughs> part of me was thinking i was like oh now that she's in the seven matches she's not t- t- the urgency when she was getting killed early on and they were getting getting rephrase that? She was getting beaten badly early on 6-1-2 love i was like Uh oh is is this somehow you know is it's somehow that she got her this part of her story done? clearly that was not right but I also love that after the tournament, before her press sorry, after the final, before her press conference, the photo she retweeted was the photo of her walking on court with the Tamir Rice mask. It wasn't a trophy photo right away. It was that that one had its moment, and then later in the day, she added some trophy photos and stuff. But what she was able to—we here, we hear, we've, we grew up with such maxims. I feel like this—the paradigm of this has shifted so much in the last three years in this sort of post-Kaepernick era. I think is probably the best way to frame it, right? Of what athlete activism can be and should be right. and shouldn't be and now naomi is not only is she not being hurt by this it's fueling her it's empowering her and the playbook is so different now for athletes and i have to give tremendous credit i think to her agent Stuart Dugid, who's her img agent for not holding her back on this whatsoever 100%, for 100%. completely and he comes from obviously one of the old old school agencies in tennis and img very standard playbook they're not people who take these kind of risks but he has seen that this is being authentic to naomi right and so yeah i think that he and obviously her foremost but like the fact that she's been let to do that even there was i wasn't sure what exactly to make of it because obviously there's different ways to read it but like the u.s open officials were telling naomi not to wear her master in the trophy ceremony because i think she was going to and i don't know if that's just for like the photos you want people with smiling faces not about the politics stuff but i thought that was a little bit of an interesting moment however people want to read that but yeah, just like what Naomi was able to do in terms of really successfully having a second mission and accomplishing both. And one of them is the hardest thing you can do in tennis, winning a Grand Slam, it, especially in a field that wound up being as tough as it was, even if it was for the top 10, just no doubts. Zero 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 use of the a word in this women's uh, final weekend. Just none of it happening here. No, one, who who could dare? Who could dare? We'll talk about that tomorrow. A tomorrow show <laughs> for the women. Absolutely not. So yeah, I, I I was just so blown away by that. And you really saw people who know your Mary Carillo's, your Pam Shriver's, your Billie Jean King herself, all drawing the Billie Jean King kind of comparisons and all being like, this is something that we haven't seen in a long time. This is special and it felt really special to be a part of.
1: Yeah, no, there's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, before the U S open began and because obviously we're, we're in the midst of celebrating the original nine, September 23rd, 1970, 50th anniversary of the original nine signing the $1 contract with Gladys Heldman to form the Virginia Slims effectively to form the Virginia Slims tour. Yeah. Uh, which would be the precursor to the WTA. And the WTA anniversary is in three years. 1973 Wimbledon, the weekend before, Billie Jean King, Gloucester Hotel, Betty Stova, Big Bag Betty, lock the door. We're forming oh, the WTA. Betty. Bam, bam, bam. Bam, boom, big Betty. Uh, big Bag Betty, lock the door, stand there, don't let anybody out. We're forming the WTA. Billie Jean King does that. It goes on two weeks later at Wimbledon to complete the Triple Crown winning the title, the doubles, and the mixed. And then a few months later, beats Bobby Riggs in the Battle of the Sexes.
0: They should make a movie about that. That's incredible.
1: I know, right? Yeah. So poignant. But yeah, so, I mean, this made me think of that a lot. And obviously, I'm not drawing like actual parallels, because I don't know what... I don't know how much of this was draining Naomi or whether we're projecting that it was draining Naomi or draining the pressure. I don't think it was either. That's not it was my com- sense. I think it
0: was completely empowering. And I think that it, in a way that it, Billie Jean, obviously people talk about how Billie Jean focused so much of her time and energy for years, right, on getting the tour yeah. off the ground, for promoting the tour, organizing the tour, sponsoring, owning events. I mean, talk about, you know, she was kind of a one woman show, her and her <laughs> husband larry king who was super involved in the running of the tour also it was a wta was a family business when it got off the ground it was a king family business very much for those two and for now but that's the thing with naomi like i just see it as not having felt like a weight for her at all i think she saw it purely as she was able to channel that purely in the right way and i tweeted this a couple hours after the match i was thinking it like my gosh had she lost at any point in this bubble whether it's at in that merton's match right after uh, taking the day off Or whether she lost at any point in the US Open after wearing a mask onto court, she would have gotten such a predictable chorus of people saying, Naomi would have had
1: a good time. Clay Travis would have had a good time.
0: Yeah, Clay Travis would have loved this. I mean, not that he feels any joy in his life, but he would have had obvious takes about this about how, you know, these kind of things are distractions and they're going to hurt you and, you know, stick to sports. The stick to sports drum would have been beaten very loud at Naomi. The only way Naomi could could puncture those drums was with the little pointy thing at the top of the US Open trophy and she did. She <laughs> poked a little hole in that drum and she said, "There's your hole." Because and yeah. she that was like the only option for her. That was the only way she could avoid that critique and she did it. And it again was she makes it seem like straightforward when you talk to Naomi, she has this kind of like non-arrogant like what like it's hard attitude at winning slams sometimes right you know what i mean right the kind of yes. nonchalance she has Elwoods, yeah yeah totally and yeah i just thought that was no that I, was I, yeah because that because that, those were the stakes those were the stakes lose those were the stakes and you're gonna get dragged for this and maybe img puts pressure on you to rethink things maybe japanese sponsors put pressure on you to rethink things you gotta you got you you had to win she had to win again like the billy Jean came the stakes for billy Jean said it in those, you know, battle of sexist type moments uh, were huge. And Naomi put those stakes on herself. But as she will, will quote Billie Jean saying, pressure is a privilege. And like, it's, you know, people can think it sounds trite, but she made it real.
1: Yeah, uh, 100%. And, and Billie says and said at the time um, and says it all the time is that she had to win or they don't listen. Yeah. That's the shitty thing about it all is that we can champion and advocate for athletes being activists. But an athlete who doesn't win doesn't necessarily change things because they don't have the mic. They don't have the opportunity to stand there on a show court with ESPN seven times over the course of a tournament to discuss The issues at hand. They don't have an opportunity to walk out on Arthur Ashe Stadium with the cameras on them as they wear seven different masks to highlight, you know, police murder in America of of black men and women. They don't have those opportunities. Like you once you have that that spot, you not only have to take advantage of it, in other words, risk everything, because what if, you know, but you have to actually win. You have to keep doing it. It's crazy. It's a it's a completely unfair system, but this is just how it is, right? If you're, like, you're absolutely right. If she loses in the first round, she loses in the second round. She loses to Marta Kostiuk in the third round, which she very, very well likely should have. We were,
0: I was working on the breaking news Naomi Osaka loses story. I had like yeah. 400 words of it written that day. Yeah,
1: love, love 40. She saves, she saves, she digs out of a love 40 game, um, late early in that third set, and then runs away with it from there. But Yeah, she had every reason to lose that match. You know, seven press conferences in the main press conference room. Even somebody who's taking a stand, like you did the Belarus story. Yeah. Right? Vera Lapko is not sitting in room one to talk about how she feels about what's happening back in Belarus. Right. That was a room three...
0: Cell phone, cell phone grade quality video on Bar- for Leroy Lapko. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that that's kind of the reality of it. So if you are a star, you know, this applies to, to LeBron, This applies to everyone, you know, these top athletes who are very, you know, very publicly taking stands. If you lose, they will laugh at you and they will ignore the message. Because you, they will now have a reason to do so. They, you give them a hook for it. And so for now, they... they'll diminish you
0: for other ways into Kaepernick. Yes. Like they'll say you were never that good. You right. were a, you were a crappy backup, and that's the reason you don't have a job in this league. And they'll and they'll pile things onto you that are not fair. Yeah. And make them fit their story. And really, yeah, winning is the only thing. Winning is I forget whose quote it is, but winning is like the best deodorant. It's not exactly what this is. <laughs> this situation because sure. no one's saying that it was stinky, but winning is unimpugnable. No right. one can deny there is literally no asterisk again to use that concept. Especially in America. This. Especially in America. No.
1: Especially in America where like if you are a winner, everything is forgiven. And like, was, no one remembers anything else.
0: It was cool late in the tournament, seeing the inner hearing the international press. You can't see each other in that press room. But but here in the international press, like she was getting questions about uh about Tamir Rice and the other people who she's yeah. who she's highlighted from international media there are british voices asking her about that now and i don't think those are stories that have been told especially like they were like honestly british tabloid reporters who are asking her this and that those stories might get told in that context is incredibly important for the cause that she cares about right that's like major work that she did and and the rate the way you get that is by winning right as much as we've talked on the show but other people and i'm not trying to decide these people at all because people who have like good intentions for wanting to make the sport of the world a better place you're nicole Gibbs's. Your Noah Rubin type people who are outskirts of the top 100, if that, and like, but have desires to be heard or to change things or whatever. Like, it's, you can't get it's much tough. done down there. You can't. It's
1: tough. That's just how it is, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if you saw this, but it was really heartening to see because I've, I've been wondering a lot the last three weeks um and i've been obviously staying as you do as well through the japanese press to uh, you know portion of her press conference we've been doing it for if, years of course it's the best um to see if the japanese press were asking her about any of the names of, you know, about her protest, about activism, things like that. And for the most part, they weren't as much. There was a few smattering here and there. But there was a tweet today from somebody in Japan who said it's working because and they they should they showed a screenshot of Japanese television, like explaining Tamir Rice. Like hmm. in Japanese, like Tamir Rice, twelve-year-old gunned down by police for carrying like a toy gun yeah. in Ohio, and all he had on him was a was a toy gun, you know. And that, in fact, it wasn't just Tamir Rice that apparently they talked about all seven hmm. of the of 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 the 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 names, the victims that that Naomi wore out. My God, like for that to happen in on in on Japanese TV, again, the power this has, the influence this has, it's unbelievable and she is just if you talk to Naomi she knows what she's doing she doesn't sit there and self deprecate and say oh it's no big deal but she also isn't I guess on something not not confused because that's that's being patronizing and belittling her which I'm not trying to do but there is a little bit yeah kind of like what you said kind of like like it's hard like why wouldn't I do this like why why would you think that this is a burden when people would ask her like you know, is this putting more pressure on you? Is this actually detrimental to your tournament? Things like that. She kind of looked at people with a confused look on her face, of like, why would it?
0: And she thinks this is the least she can do. That's her it's, attitude towards it, it's right? The spec. Yeah, of it's what speck, I can do. Exactly. When she got yeah. the messages from from Trayvon Martin's mother and and Ahmad Arbery's father on ESPN, yeah. that was that was her reaction. She was clearly that very was a humble really cool moment. That, that was, very, that was a very, very cool moment. That was. I gotta well say, d- I thought. It was obviously like the ESPN broadcast team dealing with presenting all these stories had to do different things in its, and it's normal skill set, right? Or its normal requirements, for what you have to do during covering a Grand Sam tennis tournament. I thought Chris McKendry throughout, I thought, did a really good job of anchoring that and setting a tone for that. Mary Jo Fernandez, I thought, also did a really good job with that. So
1: Yeah, I thought that um, they did a really good – those two did a really good job of, like, speaking about it pretty explicitly – yeah. Um, using the words racial injustice, police violence, the, those sorts be, of things. Because
0: there's nothing subtle about having an all caps name across your mouth, which is what she had. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so she wasn't trying to be vague. She was being specific in literal black and white on her mask.
1: And I thought that it was kind of funny because in the final, when ESPN zoomed in and, and, and showed a, a shot of Corday, uh, Naomi Osaka's boyfriend, who was wearing a "Defund the Police" t-shirt, mm-hmm. they cropped it so tight around his face that you couldn't see much of his t-shirt at all. But you could see you "Defund," saw, and you could you guess saw the defund, next two but, words. But you saw "Defund" <laughs> yeah. for a split second, and then they zoomed in even further. Yeah. That's when I—that was what gave it away to me. I was like, "You're fine," but you're actually zooming in so that we can't see "Defund." And I remember thinking, like, that's why you got to put on the mask or wear a hat. Those are the only ways where visually they can't avoid it, right? If Naomi Osaka comes out wearing a pin or a badge or a button or something on her racket bag, it's avoidable. But on the mask, completely unavoidable.
0: It reminds me of that 30 Rock thing where Tracy Jordan doesn't want to be captured on Queen of Jordan reality show so he walks around the hallways wearing a, like a new york rangers hockey outfit being like you can't show these logos you can't show me it was like it's invisibility cloak and kind of yeah you kind of need to do something that up op- and naomi like look she's a kid who grew up on the internet she'll tell you that she said that but in my first interview with her she said she's a child of the internet and so she understands like communications in this in this age right she gets it she's you know she's a native of this of this uh time and seeing her do that, that's been and been there's really, an really understanding.
1: Cool. I think what's so fascinating about this younger generation, this Gen Generation Z, is that they're you know I'm like three generations removed from them, but like there is this understanding and acceptance, very easy acceptance it seems to me, of that scrutiny of being public of. Putting yourself out there and knowing that you might get a bunch of, of, of Twitter messages or Instagram DMs or people hating on you or like whatever. And they seem not OK with that. Obviously, Internet abuse is, is obviously a very, very problematic thing, but they are seem to be very like much more thick skinned about it compared to, I think, like my generation of that didn't grow up on the Internet who, where that values privacy and like decorum a little bit more. I think, or some things where we have like really, really thin skin when it comes to stuff like that. I don't know. It, it's quite interesting. It's it but it's good to see.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk briefly about someone from another generation in terms of I guess where we divide those generations. I'm bad at names of generations like millennials and Gen Z, whatever, but Victoria Azarenka, thirty one years old, would have been Generation Carol. <laughs> there you go. That's that's that I can that I can understand that linguistics. Uh, that that nomenclature anyway. Mary Krelo had a great completely random stat that Vika would have been the oldest woman to win her third Grand Slam since Virginia Wade. Exactly. <laughs> so so that's that's a fun way to think about things and she would have had the longest ever gap between Grand Slam titles in the open era for women's singles at least. So it would have been 7 years and 200 something days between titles since she won the 2013 Australian Open. She, Vika, like we I think we said on the show with Mary, right? She was never irrelevant to us. In this way. I mean, she, I think she was in the, we did our decade show, you know, at the end of last year for most, most important players of the decade. I think Vika was like top five for both of us. Yeah. So she never really faded from that. She did results wise. When people were saying she doesn't want to match on tour in a year, I was like, really? That's, granted, yeah, i gone, but I was like, I
1: genuinely did not realize that stat existed until she didn't like until she snapped it. I was like, oh, did she not? Okay. I guess she didn't win a match for a year.
0: Like, so. yeah. Where do, where does she what did she show to you during this tournament and where do you think she goes from here Victoria Azarenka?
1: I think that what she showed is that Vika is back barring any 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 injuries. I think the belief is there. Um it's got to be frustrating for her to play this well and then now have to go on to clay a little bit. Not mm-hmm. not that she's not good at clay. She's fine. It's not, her best. 20, it's not her best. It's not her best. She's made a Roland Garros semifinal a couple times I think, but um that's about it. Uh, Twenty of her twenty-one major titles have come on hard courts. Like I wrote in my preview, or I think on the live blog, like this final featured the two best pure hard quarters Like where, like they don't even they don't really have results anywhere outside of. I'm hard trying courts. to think
0: of what her non hardcore title was. And I can't remember it.
1: I think it was Marbella. Oh, it's or... not major
0: though. It's just a title. Okay, just title right? WTA title. It's just a
1: title. Mean. Twenty-one.
0: Oh, I heard. I heard. Like I was thinking, like premiere for some reason. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, gotcha.
1: Twenty uh, for Marbella. Marbella. Titles. She did win
0: Marbella. She definitely won Marbella. Yeah. So that's right.
1: Yeah. So you know, it would be if, if there was still the hard court season. Like if this had been the start of the season and this had been Australian Open final, she'd go on into Doha, and Indian Wells, and you know Miami and still be able to build. So there's a little bit of that. That's that's probably a little bit frustrating. Then after the clay season, who knows? Like if there's going to be hardcore tournaments anywhere? Like what's going to happen? But I'm just incredibly happy for her. And when we talk about the fact that. You know, we never forgot about Vika and Vika's always been relevant. And, you know, she gave a 30 minute press conference today. Oh, my God. There that, was some like there were some, there there some weird so things happening
0: in the pressers at this whole tournament, obviously, in terms of I, the moderation yes, and, the, and the timing I and getting get called on questions when you don't have questions, not getting called on when you do have questions. It was a it was a. It never got all the way there. I will say in terms of this, but, but it was a spectacular day for Vika, letting her go because yeah, this was a long one. What do you think Vika showed here? What she's going doing going forward?
1: Yeah, I think that she'll she'll move forward confidently. I think that yeah, she's back. She's back in the top twenty, um, which is great. There's nothing to really criticize about Vika's three weeks in the bubble. I mean, she was three games away from completing the bubble double, which would have been incredible. Again, for a player who had not won a match for a year, I think that she's happy. I think that she's got a really good perspective, and you know, Ben and I talk about it all the time. I mean, we've been Vika is very much in Generation Caroline is very much the generation that is the first generation that you and I covered kind of from front to back,
0: more or less. You yeah. know,
1: you know, like with with Generation like like Serena or Maria, we were kind of parachuting in midway, a little, a little catch bit. up with them, yeah, yeah, and and so they, you know, but like from. Inse- not complete inception but the beginning of kind of when they started winning and being you know the the alphas of the tour I think my we were her and my first slam is her first slam title yeah there that you I go in person and vika's this is a different vika and this is a definitely a more mature vika um not i would say like a softer vika i think that she still absolutely has her ambition absolutely backs herself absolutely has that bite her 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 press conference was no BS. She continues to push back. You know, she's not, Vika's not there to dance for you. That's for darn sure. Like she, she will dance her dance and you can either match her steps or you can stand aside and just watch her dance, but, but you are not going to get her off of her rhythm. So yeah, it, it, I just have been, I think I saw a tweet about how like, you know, Naomi Osaka, you know, wins the title, but kind of in a lot of ways, Vika was the story of the tournament there's, there's, a, yeah. there's a strong argument to that that I agree with. I mean, I think that because she was, was, was what was unexpected. Naomi was a favorite going into the event. And to see Vika resurge and to just really, especially that set and a half, you know, the, the up until two love, seeing that level of tennis from Vika and, and remembering, right, Ben, like me turning to you at Indian Wells, being like, how do you beat that? How do you beat that? In 2012, yeah. 2013, um, when she plays at her best, uh, she presents an unsolvable puzzle for i think a lot of players
0: she has been really really good and like you said about the story i think yeah you can make a case the stories in this tournament were so good on the women's side like you have obviously osaka we talked about at length vika we're talking about now this great great about doing daily shows we talked a lot about most of these people now jen brady and other semi-finalists what she did with her we career root. transforming it I mean, honestly, that leaves, like, that leaves Serena weirdly in fourth place among semifinalists, I feel like, which is crazy, given that it's Serena friggin' yeah. Williams. And then Parankova, like you said, unbelievable story. Yeah, this tournament, just to do some, like, big picture reflections, is this tournament, I gotta say, both of you and I, I think, had our skepticisms about this whole thing, right? Or definitely I did. I'll put that all on myself. I was like, should we come back? I don't know. It's, uh... I, I'm I'm still a little dubious about it. I'm still dubious about the French Open. I haven't. <laughs> I'm not totally on board for everything now. I'm not saying "oui, oui" and "allez" the way Vika's suddenly is shouting "allez" now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it was women's side of the tournament, especially in terms of just the on-court product, the tennis level was really unimpeachably great. And I say that with you know, I've seen a lot of women's tournaments that started out at full strength. Go some funky places right results wise this <laughs> sure. one did not even and even with losing number one seed in the second round even with that the rest of it held up incredibly well and it was fantastic yeah, so yeah
1: and i will i will give you hella props on this um because you you said it once and i i kind of was like what well, is that true but i'm absolutely a believer in this very fact now that women's tennis is far more impressive and looks better on a faster court. Mm. And that's something that Ben has always said. I kind of, because like a lot of my favorite players in the past have like been pretty good on clay. So I'm like, well, no, like, I don't know. But especially this tournament, I think really solidified that for me is that, you know, you saw winners, you saw women's tennis look faster. It looked cleaner and it led to really, really compelling matches. And, you know it was yeah i just if they could lay the surface down a bunch i would love it i really i really just enjoyed the two weeks the matches weren't excruciably long on either the men's or women's side which was great and it became i mean i I really feel that the osaka brady semifinal was kind of the cleanest distillation of that of just like when i mean the last time i've seen a match like that would have been like petra venus wimbledon
0: i was gonna name that same one 2014 right yeah.
1: 2014 of just like an absolute surface first strike tennis every you know it was like playoff baseball every pitch mattered every swing mattered every runner on base mattered that's what it felt like you know and and so it really came down to that and i don't think that you get that tennis um and that match if it was last year's court
0: I just love fast courts, especially because, I mean, the way I clarify for women's tennis because, yes, on men's side, people think you can get just ace, 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 which is- Although be that didn't problem. happen here.
1: All the big servers got dumped out early.
0: Right. That's true. That's true. That's that's absolutely true. Small sample, weird kind of sample size because there aren't that many, but yes. I mean, Ronich did make the final of Cincy was his sort of big serve ride. But Doesn't anyway- count. Fair
1: Cincy. <laughs> I'm talking to you. I'm talking US Open, Ben.
0: Okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, I like it because it's positive tennis and it rewards different kinds of things. It's not just power, too. It re- rewards assertive, what we call positive tennis, right? Like like, like Radvanska at Wimbledon. Wimbledon. I always think Women's Wimbledon is like the best tournament of the year because yeah. you get different kinds of proactive play that can be rewarded, including something that's a little bit countery, like a Kerber, right? You know, who's like, who's absorbing power and still doing things, but still being very purposeful, right? I, I, I don't, I don't. How in twenty nineteen? Yes, maybe not how before that. She made much, semifinals
1: twenty fourteen. I know, I know, I know. Rolled her ankle against Eugenie Bouchard, kind of a sliding doors moment. Who knows how that turns out? Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm just I, saying. I,
0: look, I, I believe me. I've heard you make this comment, <laughs> up ten times at <laughs> Drunk, this point,
1: drunkenly at drunkenly at a New York bar, probably at uh, at All PJ Carney's.
0: That and the twenty twelve <laughs> Australian Open semi. Uh, yes, Sharapova, the drop shot. Kvitova.
1: No, no, no. Oh, oh yes, that one, and then two thousand eight Australian Open, Anna oh, on Ivanovich final
0: well, hits a drop shot. Well, that's just you being a fan and being scarred. That's different.
1: <laughs> hit a drop shot. Shouldn't hit it. Shouldn't hit it.
0: Yeah. Shouldn't Anyhow, hit I, I yeah, I thought it was really really good. I, I I'm curious to see how the tour goes in, in Europe again. My trepidation is still here. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen over there. It is crazy to me that Rome is like already underway, like as a Nothing tournament. Nothing makes
1: sense right now. Like I so, mean. I wish that And Rome is like I a mean, big
0: picture Rome is one of my favorite tournaments of the year. People know yeah, yeah. this. Like I no, love but, Rome and that I'm going to have to like sleep
1: through it this year. I just honestly if you know and and I don't I mean I'll just say this. All throughout the event players went out of their way to kind of acknowledge and and you heard commentators that say it as well the amount of work that went in to being able to have tennis for the last three weeks mm-hmm. at the, in New York. It's crazy. Um, and it's unbelievable that, uh, to me that the USTA was able to pull it off, I think, pretty successfully. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, you had kind of the hijinks of the first week and pair and all that sort Djokovic. of stuff. but in Djokovic. But Djokovic has nothing to do with, like, being able to put the event on. No, no, that, no. That, that could that, happen happened any just, time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but with respect to pandemic-related things. And I can't emphasize and stress enough, like how much these things are on a knife at knife's edge Um, and things are not going to be perfect. And it's required everyone from players to reporters, to just everybody that's involved in the tennis industrial complex to be incredibly flexible and to yeah, nothing is happening normally. Like right now, like it is September 12th, the French open starts in two weeks, like almost exactly two weeks and credentialing just went out today like french open credentialing normally is like five months out of a slam it's like january like two weeks and like people have to make decisions as to then can we go do you know if you're gonna go i have no idea yeah i I don't so everything is so up in the air and then you're like okay but if i go then i have to go okay i need to get it i have to at least according to our tool tour rules for employees like okay I have to, like, find out how to get a test within 72 hours of my flight, but I also have to land in Paris, like, 72 hours before I need to be on site, because you have to then get retested there and then isolate in your Like, everything's kind of crazy, and, like, can I even get in? Like, are they letting Americans in, or do I fall under an exemption because I'm tour staff? I don't know, you know? So these are, like, the things that we're all kind of dealing with, these press conferences you were mentioning, just the system just please tournaments never use a proprietary system just use zoom it's easy it's fast it works like just do that dealing with that for the last three the last two weeks has been an absolute headache and adds added anxiety to my days it's just like it everything's on edge and everything can, i don't know i i just say all that like just to say like don't take what we get for granted because it really is across the board the best that everybody can do. Like, yeah. I have no idea how Rome's going to pull off what they, what they pull off. Like Rome is already kind of a logistical. Cluster. Labyrinth. Okay. <laughs> under best of times. Like you've been there, like just from an catacomb, organizational perspective. A good, a good Roman
0: word, you know? Sure. It's, it's, um.
1: Uh... So I have no idea how that works under a pandemic. Yeah. More, same with one... Roland Garros. I don't know. So, I just would, as this may be my last appearance on NCR before the end of of U.S. Open. Like, oh, it will be. Just cut, just cut everybody a little slack. And so I, I give the USTA a hell of a lot of credit for for being able to pull off what they did.
0: And you can follow, you know, my journey through this, <laughs> what should tennis do going forward, and having the three interviews with Mark Iron about the challenges of having the Washington tournament, yeah. and getting very up close with these things. And he made the choice not to, which I was very supportive of, and. When they yeah they got the travel the travel stuff fixed pretty last minute for the U.S. Open relatively and there was still a lot of ambiguity about that. One thing on my one little lighthearted Rome point, I'm like annoyed. The one time I can't go to Rome is when it's going to be outside pollen season. It's not going to be pollen season in Rome.
1: Outside pollen season and empty grounds, like just
0: empty like, grounds. I don't need, but the pollen I do can go. <laughs> I mean the po- yeah, it's I Rome, but it's like what is Rome without you know people you know getting in your way?
1: Heaven. It's i called. don't know
0: man it would be it would be weird yeah. that'd be like a weird as weird as u.s open yeah. people Rome that people would be like 20 times you
1: know what you today. should do you should do you should do an episode with jimmy
0: i was thinking about that jimmy is on the
1: ground and and that was another thing like photographer like one when... <laughs> the <laughs> the photographers couldn't get is, into us open that was this nuts. is like how this is like sausage related like you know how things get made but like Saw so, like um, photographers generally were not allowed onto site. There's only like maybe like a handful of photographers. And I mean a handful, like three or four. Trying to cover um,
0: 15 courts.
1: Co- yeah. And so like we didn't have a f- – and, and our normally, like from the WTA, we kind of know that sometimes our matches get ignored by agency photographers, which is why we have our own Jimmy. contracted photographer. And so – but obviously he can't fly into the U.S. So he couldn't cover it. Yeah. So it was weird. Like this a story is happening. And for like round after round, we're using and trying to recycle like Wimbledon 2017 photos that don't look like Wimbledon. Like you're like, is do you see a speck of grass there? Ah, oh, Like maybe don't you? This is that. And yeah, it was really, yeah, really the rough. Times, and, the Times
0: didn't, even with the New York media permits, we didn't have a photographer on site for most of the tournament. And yeah. honestly, that would have been more, it's, Matt, it matters reporter on site did good work but honestly photographers sometimes has to be almost like more essential personnel in terms of who has to be on the yeah. ground so yeah it, it's it's all been weird i want to because you like you said you're probably not going to be on tomorrow's show because <laughs> you can explain why if you want um but just what what do you what have you made of of the of the u.s Open as a whole and i guess the men's side your parting thoughts on the men's side before we get a, a champ and you'll be on the show again after either sasha zverev or Dominic team is is our first new slam champ but um what, what do you make of this men's tournament?
1: Honest to honest, like hand to heart, I hope that the guys have a, have like an absolute epic match tomorrow. Like I think that you know that's what's needed. I, I don't think that the men have provided great matches outside <laughs> of the Sitsipas, uh, Chorich drama. Which was more about drama, about watching somebody like choke at two o'clock in the morning, as opposed to being like a great match. Um, so that's been that's been a bummer. Like every time I would click over to a men's match, it, it just wasn't I don't know, wasn't really scratching the edge. It just, you know, I was enjoying kind of the one way traffic. Like I love I I enjoyed the Medvedev route of TFO because I just like watching Medvedev when he's playing at his best. Um, there were some dramatic moments in the Medvedev Rublev Tarkovsky match. <laughs> you know uh i mean obviously medvedev team was good i slept through most of it because i was still recovering from the coma of the prior match oh i genuinely i genuinely fell asleep um and so i only watched like the third set or something or ma- actually late third set of um of uh, medvedev that match team.
0: that match, that match was good like that match yeah, the the it, team, looked it, 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 it was it was by no means great but it was a solid serviceable grand slam semifinal it yeah, was, like, no. both guys were played well at, at times, sometimes in the right times, and there was a good amount of battle, even though it was straight sets. Like, Mevedev had leads in both sets. Again, Obviously. a little a little bit like this women's final, a little bit like the, the momentum changes weren't, like, climactic. Like, boom, they were just kind of, like, he kind of let things slip and kind of took his foot off the gas in this way. It was, like... But Mevedev said he was, like... It was funny because both of them, like, seemed, like, in their comments afterwards, like, they didn't expect to win that match. Team was, like... I think because of the mat, w- way that he won those in straights, I think he was a little bit mm. like, "Oh, I'm a little bit surprised to you know be here at, in straights," just because I thought that that Daniel had his had huge chances in this match to, to make it more interesting, and 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 Daniel was like, "I did not think I was in shape for this tournament at all," which he kind of had a little bit revealed his cards on being like, "Everyone's going to struggle at best of five. and then no one really did. But he was like, "I thought we were all supposed to struggle, guys. Why aren't we struggling?" <laughs> <Come on." laughs> so, uh, yeah. But Anyway. And then Adore. we'll see. I, I do I do agree. I want, I want, I think I said this on the previous show, I want whoever wins this match tomorrow to do it doing themselves proud, right? Yep. I want them to do it showing who they are, what's made them great, what's made them someone we've been talking about for a while. Because this is not, this is not on any level a random final, right? Right. Even though. And, the Vogue and te-
1: photo proves that.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, Louisa Thomas all over this years ago. They have, she didn't take the photo, she wrote the story, but anyway. But she was there for the photo. She was. Yeah, I want, especially if it's Zverev, I want him to do something that's like, that makes people go, this guy's special. Not, it had to go to somebody.
1: And you know what? Here's the thing on this. Because, obviously, Zverev's last two matches, just absolute crap. But, the thing is this. If he goes out tomorrow against team, loses in straight sets. Maybe even blowout. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he goes out there playing to win. He goes out there blasting serves, like going big on that second serve, hitting his freaking forehand, playing aggressively and not playing, hoping that somebody gives him the match. I will come out of this tournament feeling so much more positive about him than I do right now. Yeah. Because I feel like in the last two matches against Chorich and against Pablo Creniobusta, he just waited for the choke. And, and he, he got and it he, and, he, and, he, and he got it and all credit to him. He baited the choke and that's fine. You won the match. And obviously there are no style points in tennis. I know that I advocate that all the time, et cetera, et cetera. But for I just it would be hard. It would be hard to see, you know, Dominic hit 40 on errors and hand this over to somebody who's just goaltending at the back of the court. That would yeah. be a very unsatisfying way for it to go down. But if, if Sasha wins going for it, if Sasha w- loses going for it. I tip my cap. hundred yeah. percent. I will be way less mad than I am about the situation as we speak right now. Because I'm still I still can't get over it. Like I can't And it really I is. Just, I should have just was... I should've I should have just turned those matches off. I, I mean, I've done this to myself. It's not his fault. I, I shouldn't have watched them. I shouldn't have. It's what I get it, for watching is, men's it, tennis. It,
0: it is his fault. But you know, the other thing I'll say about the team at Medvedev match, and Medvedev said this I was we did record the episode with Mike Cation. Uh I recorded the episode with Mike Cation before medvedev came in because he was running late i was like okay wait for medvedev to press because i'm curious what he'll say about this match and then he just kept pushing back and i was like i'm not gonna wait that long for you like we're i gotta it's getting late it's already late 1 30 a.m as we recorded this here currently but medvedev uh said that it was playing really slow which i could buy and like at night it being it was like apparently got colder which it was always doesn't open uh i'm not sure no it wasn't It but, was. Open. but he said but he said it was yeah getting colder and slower playing at night against team and hopefully it's a it's a you know warm day and a as far as aggressive tennis, because, you know, sometimes the men fast courts don't hurt either. God, Zverev, because certainly it was a fast court these days. Anything, yeah. anything better. The bar is low, boys. Let's, let's hurdle over it nicely. Let's not like a limbo bar at Adria Tour. Let's not do that. Let's, let's, let's jump over it cleanly and uh, get a new champ. Because, yeah, I, I, like, 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 we, like I said with Mike on the show, I don't know if you heard the show we did yesterday, but like, with Zverev and team, we're both really looking forward to their second slam. Like, whatever happens here, like, eh, mm. but these guys are going to be people who we think be relevant factors for a while, right? Well, we we don't, we yeah, do think. Sure. Yeah, for
1: sure. Look, tomorrow, whoever gets crowned, whether they get crowned tomorrow or they get crowned within the next two years, they're going to get crowned. There is nobody in tennis that does not think the Dominic team and Sasha Zverev will finish their careers as multiple major champions barring some ca- some catastrophe. There just isn't. I mean, they're just too good not to. Um, And the field is what the field is. There's going to be opportunities. There isn't going to be somebody who holds it you know, by the throat and and maybe Dominic is that guy who's maybe the closest to doing it because he, he can, you know, at least, you know, dominate on clay once, you know, Rafa and Novak are out of the game and, and maybe even before. And and obviously now he can win on hard courts. So it's not about like, oh, I, this is a thing that I just don't want to happen is one of these guys to have a major title. That's not the case. Like, they're going to have it. I believe it. I just want it to be won. And I want, as I said before, I want the person who wins the title tomorrow for us to watch that match and say, that guy is good enough to win a Grand Slam title, and the only reason that he didn't win it is because of the big three, because he's playing alongside greats.
0: That is certainly the team narrative, if he gets it. Yes, exactly. And
1: what I don't want is to watch tomorrow's final and think the only reason that guy won is because those big three guys weren't here, because he's not good enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like that he doesn't deserve it. Like he's just not good enough to be a major champion. That's what I don't want to see. You know, I, yeah, I just um, yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. I, I think I back Dominic. Um, and I think he's been playing unbelievable. And some of the points he played on the big points against Medvedev that I did see were yeah. un, were, were stunning. Like just painting lines and it was nuts. So I just don't see how that doesn't. He doesn't, he isn't the the winner on Sunday. That would be a pretty big upset. And I would be pretty bigly upset.
0: Pretty bigly. Well, we are bigly, the opposite of upset. We're bigly delighted by all of you for listening to NCR during all these US Open shows. This is our 14th out of 15. Uh, Like I said, I have another guest of some kind. I'm hoping for a German to cover that because it's a very Germanic final we're getting here. Uh, If they can stay up late, we'll see.
1: And people said that German wouldn't come at my seven years of German (laughs) would not come in handy in tennis. (laughs)
0: Has it though? Has it?
1: I, I, I knew what Dominic was saying about his shoes. Yeah, okay,
0: fair. Fair. Anyway, thank you guys for, Donka for your support of NCR as always. And thank you uh, to our Patreon Slam Champ backers for backing us as we thank them every show Liz Kendall, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carillo, Chuang Nguyen, Leah Williams, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Joseph Haar, Susanna W., Antonio May Cumber, and our GOAT backers, Mike, Charles Cena and j-o-d no new backers i believe to report since our last show which i think breaks like a streak of like 13 days with new backers which is pretty incredible uh so if you want to get in here during the u.s open uh one day i'll have to do that to, to to add your name to the show and everything and on ncr because it's been really really cool uh having everyone turn out like this and appreciating the shows and enjoying them including people and- who are like on the show so hearing people like hear like mike be like i loved carillo and, and McCarville on the show like that was cool too so we make the show kind of for ourselves still in a lot of ways but that people other people enjoy it too is uh it's tremendous. so and,
1: and join in the Patreon party because you know Roland Garros is right around the corner and uh yeah we'll i do, think my plan know.
0: is to go daily for Roland Garros we'll yeah, see what the is it's easier to go like. daily
1: with Roland Garros than here time wise I mean, yeah i'm not going to stay up till
0: 1am yeah. so yeah. i'll so. see what it's like covering a slam that starts that or it's going to be tough but it's going to uh, be very tough
1: and maybe, i have if, 24 if, hours if, to get over to to set myself on Rome time for media day of Rome on Monday. Uh, So.
0: Yeah, Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, thank you guys very much for listening. Courtney, it's been an honor US opening with you. And we will see y'all later. Bye. Ciao, ciao. Arrivederci.
1: Gorlami.